Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the Wild Football Index. I'm your host, Adam Brandon, and although last week we started the group stages of the Copa Libertadores at full strength, by the second week we're already down to two people. So, the only person joining me this week is Simon Edwards. Simon, how are you? I'm good. It's just the highlights this week, just the highlights of the South American Football Show. Uh, just, just the best two. I'm good. I'm good here in Medellin. How's, how's Chile? Yeah, all good here. Thanks. Um, I, I've been scouring the continent for for another expert to join us, but unfortunately, nobody could. Um, but it's been another interesting week of Libertadores action. Perhaps not quite as thrilling as last week, but there's plenty to talk about, isn't there? Yeah, absolutely. You start to see kind of narratives emerging, teams looking a bit panicked, teams uh, perhaps unexpectedly looking quite comfortable. And, uh, you know, things are really starting to heat up. And it's interesting to see where everyone's everyone's falling and, and what they need to do to, to get through in one of those top two spots. Let's start with what we've deemed kind of a game of the week this week. It was probably between two Chilean sides um, as to which one would be game of the week. But we've plumped for Universidad Católica 2, Rosario Central 1, a game which had incredible late drama. I think one of the great aspects of this game was the was the atmosphere generated by Católica fans. As we saw in the qualifying stages of this competition, with Palestino playing there, and one of the reasons they wanted to play there, I think, was because the closeness of the stands to the pitch helps generate kind of really close and loud atmosphere. And I think it did again in this one. And as with week one, it continued the theme of late, late drama. Catolica were the better side for majority of this match. Um, I think you would agree, no, Simon. I think Central's first real effort on goal was their equaliser in the in injury time. We'll come on to that in a little bit. But one of the things which really impressed me was the performance of um, of Pooch up front for for Catholica. His pace was always a threat against a fairly kind of slow-looking, cumbersome Rosario Central defence. And yeah, and Pooch worked that defence pretty worked pretty hard in that first half. And he was rewarded, wasn't he, on 28 minutes when he latched on to a raking long ball or pass from goalkeeper. Matthias Dodora, we were having a bit of a debate about this, weren't we? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it gets a little flick off the defender and it falls into the to the path of Pooch. But, you know, I, I, I had a quick look at the replay and you see the keeper, uh, Dodora, lift his head and, and have a little glance over to the left. And whether his pass was going to reach Pooch or not is, is another thing. But he definitely saw the option and, and went for the through ball and uh, it was it was a really good idea. It was almost perfectly executed with a little touch. It fell into the path of Pooch and threw on goal, calm as you like, toes it past the goalkeeper. Uh, a really nice finish. But I think a lot of uh, a good lot of good vision from the goalkeeper to see the opportunity as well. Indeed, and Cato had chances to make it two 0 either side of half time. Sayers guilty, I think it. I think it was Sayers anyway guilty of missing a couple of the better ones, if I recall correctly. Rosario Central had kind of spells of possession, but they very rarely threatened the Catolica goal. But in the 92nd minute, Colombian substitute Duran Vergara, he, he volleyed home a very impressive equaliser, didn't he, Simon? Yeah, absolutely. A friend of mine, Duran, played for Envigado, so I was really happy to see him get his first goal. And uh, 
he's obviously posting all that on on Facebook, and he obviously has to kind of put the caveat of well, obviously disappointing with the final result, um, but good to see him come on. I think he really did help Rosario as well. They were kind of workmanlike up until this point, moving the ball without a bit great deal of of kind of pace or invention. And and while Duvan has his shortcomings, he's definitely a a player who makes things happen. He got on the ball and started running with it and moving it. He's very, very elastic. Yeah, dynamic, wasn't he? Uh, certainly compared to what had been before in that in that Central team. It was very kind of workmanlike, I think, as you say, before that. But yeah, he just gave them that little bit of pace as well that they were really lacking, I think, um, before yeah. before he came on. Nice and, finish as well. Yeah, very nice finish, yeah. And and, yeah. and they went crazy, didn't they? The players, the manager was on the pitch, <laughs> running up to the central fans. But, yeah, um, I had my head in my hands, to be honest, as I really <laughs> thought that Catolica should have had this game com- comfortably 1-2-0, really. But as I lifted my head, Fuenza leader managed to win a ball in the, in the, in sort of the last third of the pitch up against uh, Rosario Central fullback Rizzi um, who then in a panic brought down Fuenza leader uh, as he raced into the area clear penalty and then it was um, a bit of a delay as you would expect and then finally it was I think in 96th minute last kick of the game Diano Ayed stepped up with nerves of steel to give the Chilean side all three points, a brilliantly taken penalty under the pressure, no son. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, again, when you get that kind of late penalty, there's always a lot of pushing and drama and complaints, and the opposition will kind of try and upset the the, the taker and do whatever he can. Goalkeeper goes to cl- uh, get the mud off his boots, you know, everything, and to, yeah, to be cool under that kind of pressure uh, in a game. Again, it would have been a huge disappointment had Catolica not won the game um, they looked comfortable for large spells had good opportunities at times Rosario had possession without really doing that much with it so yeah it was it was one of those ones where the fans uh, go home extremely happy with the with the three points given that they could have thrown it all away and and got a very disappointing draw uh, against a, a decent Argentine side so Good result in the end, but uh, yeah, very, very dramatic at the, in the last couple of minutes. Indeed, I heard on the radio that a couple of Catolica fans left when the Rosario Central <laughs> equaliser went in, so um, awful them, I think. Um, oh, I, sh- I should say that we're recording this pod in the end on Sunday, and, and Catolica actually managed a very impressive 3 2 win away to Colo Colo in the league today, which, uh, which sent them joint top, so. Yeah, Catolica bounced, have bounced back really well from that opening 4-1 defeat against uh, Libertad in this group. And uh, and yeah, they, 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 they seem like they're going well in both the Libertadores and, um, and the league now. And they've got a great chance to capitalise on this three points at home because their next two games in the group, strangely, are also at home. So they started with an away game. Then they've got three home games in a row and then they're ending with two away games. I think Flamengo in in Group D also have a similar schedule. Strangely enough, I can't remember seeing that before in the Libertadores, but it's, uh, it's one of the oddities of this year's uh, fixture list. The other game in this group saw Paraguayan side Libertad, who I just mentioned, but who beat Catolica 4-1 on the, on the opening 
week of this tournament. They continued their impressive start by beating their 2017 Libertadores Champions Gremio 1-0 in Porto Alegre. This means that the Paraguayans sit top of this group six points out of six. And, uh, and yeah, having come through the qualifying stage and gone through all that mess with sacking their Colombian manager Lionel Alvarez uh, last week, or he resigned. I think the details on that are still a bit sketchy. This is impressive given all of the kind of controversy surrounding Libertad at the moment though so yeah absolutely it was a very very impressive controlled professional performance by Libertad we saw them last week having a bit of fun this week uh, I think they'll have enjoyed even more the way they saw this game out Uh, Gremio to be fair were very flat lacking creativity lacking a lot of invention obviously the defense is still solid but they, they, they definitely need to work on creating space creating openings because uh, they Libertad was sitting back for the first half, keeping things tight. But when they had the chance to break, they did it well. The goal uh, was really nicely finished. Martinez lost his man. Jeromel uh, pulled pulled away from his marker, low cross, and he volleyed it first time under the keeper on 47 minutes. Going into halftime, one hell up a huge confidence boost for the away team. And then in the second half, they had a lead to defend, and they defended it incredibly well. Gremio had three or four chances, but they were all edge of the box. They, there was always two or three players in front of them. Um, and Libertad kept things tight, kept a, an outlet to, to alleviate the pressure. And it was just a perfect away performance from the, from the Paraguayans. And 100% record so far. They're looking very, very good. Let's move on to Group G, where we saw Boca Juniors beat Lima 3-0. A comfortable win in the end for last year's runners-up. But Boca didn't have it all their own way in the first half, I believe, son. No, no. In the first half, uh, Tolima looked very, very good. They really struggled after going behind uh, just after half-time. You know, uh, during the half-time team talk, I'm sure the manager, Gamera, would have been very, very pleased. They looked very compact. But they always had threat and pace on the counter-attack. Uh, Marco Perez was really occupying Lopez and Izquierdos in defence. Um, they looked very good. Gonzalez had a much, much better game on the right wing, the Venezuelan. Uh, and things were looking perfect. But the issue is they, they really were not prepared to, to go and attack Boca Juniors and take the game to them. So when they went behind, a really nice free kick whipped into the near post and it took a deflection, a, a header off Marco Perez, the striker, and it ended up in the Tolima net. And after that, Tolima obviously then had to try and take the game to Boca and it, it, Boca very professionally took took them apart on the counter-attack. Uh, Tolima piled too many players forward. You know, 1-0 down, they're still in the game. They should take their time, keep things compact. They they were doing well in the first half, but they they got too many numbers forward. And yeah, Boca very, very clinical on the counter. Some really nice play. Tevez was a little bit off the boil a little bit in the first half, but in the second half, with space opening up, he was really very clinical in his passing. Um, Boca were going for a little bit more width, obviously, with Villa on one side, who... Again, looked a little bit tetchy in this game against his previous side, trying to trying to force things at times. But again, with the game opening up, his pace was good. Sarate was very good. Benedetto, I think, to be honest as well, I think Boca were quite 
strong in some of their tackles. I think they were a little bit lucky to get away with uh, not picking up a few more cards in this game. And you know, on another day, this could be a, an incredible away point for Tolima or perhaps a, a snatch win. But when Boca got on the got on top in this game, they really pushed home their advantage. And in the second half, it could have been a lot worse, to be honest. Uh, Tolima, a good game plan for, for away games, but they need to maintain the discipline and have a plan B when they go behind because that's where they really, really struggled. So... A good first half and a very poor first half from Talima and the opposite for Boca. Boca looked good in the second half. You, you have to give them credit. They, they were very classy in, in the way they pulled uh, Talima apart. But uh, but yeah, I, I do think T- Boca as well need to to work on, on, on their width. And there's some things they can still work on. But again, when they got the advantage, they really took it in this game. So an impressive 3-0 win for the Argentines. Yeah, well, fortunately for Colombia... Tolima picked up that win in the opening week, didn't they? So, because without that, it hasn't been the best of starts for Colombian size to this Libertadores. In the other game in this group, Atletico Paranense beat Wilsterman 4 0 at home. And you were saying to me, Simon, before the pod, that this was one of the most one-sided games you can remember. Yeah, I mean, we we, we enjoy Wilsterman, and they are a great credit to the Libertadores, not only with their the altitude um, and their famous centre-back King, King Eddie Zenteno. But the way they they battle and they're compact and they make the most of what they have and, and they can surprise us at times with their quality, none of that on display this game. Um, Paranaense could have gone up earlier. They eventually got the goal in 32 minutes, made it 2-0 on 36 minutes and and then it was just so easy. Honestly, they look very good, Paranaense, but you could see Wilsterman going 2-0 behind in the first half. They really had no plan to to bring this game back. And in the second half, on 70 minutes onwards, it, it didn't look at times, once Paranaense were 3-0 up, that they were kind of avoiding keeping possession the way that Paranaense, uh, sorry, Wilsterman were flying in some of the tackles. Um, they actually subbed off uh, Ronnie, who had a really good game, he uh, started doing some tricks, flicked over the Wilsterman player's head, was doing no look passes, that that Neymar control behind the behind the foot, and uh, it looked as though the referee went over to him and said, "Come on, mate, come on, leave that out. No, no need for that." So, um, Paranaense was so comfortable in this game. Um, in the second half, again, Wilsterman flying into tackles. Uh, they eventually made it 4 0, 88th minutes. But uh, yeah, definitely a, a tie to forget for Wolstermann. Going 3 0 behind uh, against a superior side away, you could just tell that they weren't really enjoying much of the second half. But, uh, you know, they'll come back. They'll they'll get some results still in this competition, I'm sure. But when, it, when Paranese were in control and playing well, you could really see the huge difference in quality. So uh, I expect more from Wilstermann, but uh, this was not their day, to say the least. Paranense take on Boca Juniors at the start of April in this group. Obviously, there's the international break coming up, so no Libertadores matches for a couple of weeks. But yeah, when they do return, there's, uh, there's that clash between the Brazilian side and the Argentine side in this group. And, and you'll be pleased to hear Simon at Tolima welcome Wilstermann to their home in, in the match third match day so that's a good chance for Tolima to, to, to get six points on the board halfway through and um, and they might fancy their chances of qualifying from that from that point but they might need a big win like uh, Paranense got yeah well we'll see I think I think Tolima uh, are probably 
more set up for counter-attacking against the stronger side. So we'll have to see how they do, but they definitely have the pace to to get at uh, Wilsterman and cause them some damage. So sh- in theory, it should be a fun home game uh, for, the, for the Colombians. But, you know, Wilsterman have surprised us before. They'll definitely make it difficult, uh, at least until the games are out their reach and then perhaps not so much. Okay, well, let's move on to Group C. Probably, along with that Catholic uh, Rosario Central game I mentioned earlier, one of the most entertaining matches of the week. Olympia won, Universidad de Concepcion won. This game started with Olympia on top, and uh, Rodez controlled a lovely chipped uh, ball from into the box from Silva. Controlled it on his chest and, uh, and volleyed home under the goalkeeper to put Olympia one up after 16 minutes. And to be honest, I did fear a bit for the Chileans at that stage, um, especially kind of it was in my mind what happened to Catolica when they conceded early against Libertad uh, the previous week in Paraguay. But to their credit, Universidad de Concepcion really rallied and uh, ended up deserving their equaliser before half time. Uh, Nico Oriana just um, managed to get on get on to a cross from Ballon, who had managed to receive a great pass, a great incisive through pass from from the fullback Pacheco. Uh, ran onto it, cut it back, and yeah, like I say, Oriana there was there to finish off. It looked like a kind of a set set planned move from the Chilean side. So they'll certainly be happy with that coming off. Um, In the second half, Olympia had the better chances to win it. But to me, it always felt like Universidad de Concepcion were always in this game. They, and they could have perhaps nicked it as well. I remember the Olympia goalkeeper having to pull off a couple of decent saves in that second half himself. So, yeah, another really entertaining match um, involving Universidad de Concepcion, like I say, and Nicolas Madarana, kind of a little playmaker there behind the strikers. I saw a stat that he's the best dribbler so far in in, in this tournament. And uh, and also great credit to Hugo Droguet, who is now well into his 30s, must be about 36, 37, but I thought he had a fantastic game in, in this one. Simon, I don't know if, if you caught much of this, but yeah, I really enjoyed it. Yeah, not too much, but you know, I'm impressed with the result. Um, from what I saw from Universidad de Concepcion, I thought <laughs> they might be in trouble, but uh, to, to only concede one, uh, having performed so openly and, and defended so ooh, sparingly <laughs> in the first game is impressive, perhaps shows more depth to the side than uh, than we saw in the first game uh, how do they look defensively in this one yeah a, li- a little bit manic at times I felt you know they were throwing their bodies on the on the line to to defend but certainly an improvement I think from from last week and and I think Bozan took a slightly more pragmatic pragmatic approach as you would expect from any decent coach you know going away from home you can't go too gung-ho certainly against the step up in quality and opposition as well in, in, in Olympia. So, yeah, I think uh, 
I think their game plan pretty much worked though, and uh, and and they'd be delighted with with the point. Absolutely, uh, good point there as well. I saw a really good atmosphere as well for the Olympia game, uh, packed stadium. Really nice to see. Yeah, yeah. And the other game in this group also had a fairly decent atmosphere, and that was Sporting Cristal one, Godoy Cruz one. Um, Simon, the Peruvians made a really good start to this game, didn't they? Herrera putting them. One up early on, a nicely worked goal, and I fancied them to to go on and win it from there, certainly. And but they were, but then they kind of sat off and they were pegged back before half time, and then it felt like the second half just kind of petered out, and it ended up fee- feeling like a point gained for the Argentines, two dropped to the Peruvians, given the context in this group, but. Perhaps Godot Cruz might even feel a little bit disappointed they didn't end up nicking it. Yeah, they had a few chances on the counter at the end. Um, I think, yeah, Sporting Cristal, with the, the fans behind them, were the protagonists in this game, I would say. But you're right that they, they will feel disappointed that they didn't push home the advantage. Perfect start. Really nice pass from Horacio Calzaterra. A little clip through ball, but it had a lot of backspin. And in the end, uh, Emmanuel Herrera finished from a tight angle as the keeper came out. Um, it was a uh, yeah. I mean, so I think Sporting Cristal have shown in this game that they've got some good quality. Uh, you're right that they dropped back a bit too much as well, um, having made such a positive start and showing for b- b- last large spells of the game that they can they can play to drop back and and allow Godoy to push on and uh, and get the equaliser was was disappointing. Uh, I think Cristal again probably had the the bulk of possession, but Godoy always maintained a threat on the counter and. Uh, they could have snatched it at the end, as you say, but I think Sporting Cristal looked like a decent side, but this you're, you're definitely right that this is a, a missed opportunity uh, on, a, on a night where things early on look like they'd be going their way. Yeah, I, I know that the reaction in Peru was certainly one of disappointment to this result. Certainly, obviously, coming on the back of that heartbreaking 5-4 loss um, to Universidad de Concepcion in, in week one. Cristal, of course, lost their their manager and a couple of their best players to, to Chilean football over the South American summer. Mario Salas, who, who dominated Peruvian football, really, with, with Sporting Cristal last year um, there in Peruvian League. And, and he had a really fantastic team there. And I think if Salas had stayed on with, with Sporting Cristal, this campaign would be going better than it has been but like I say they lost him and also a couple of key players and yeah it's uh it's, it's been a difficult transition for them I think and uh and yeah it's, it's no surprise to see them struggling a little bit with that um at the start of the at the start of this group stage but I think certainly this group is wide open still and uh and I wouldn't rule them out just yet Let's move on to Group F, um, which saw San Lorenzo beat Junior 1-0. Um, Simon, a worrying start to this Libertadores for, for Junior, who are still stuck on zero points after two games. And this defeat came against what is, you know, we've discussed before, a pretty average San Lorenzo side without a win in ages coming into this. But it was a result that wasn't helped by a red card that you know, we, you weren't too sure on it, were you? We, we, we were discussing pre-pod 
I, I just saw it for the first time then. It's uh, it's, a, it's a difficult one, but I think I think the ref probably did get it right, and um, and he was closest to the incident as well. So I think I'm giving the ref the benefit of the doubt on this. Yeah, we, uh, during the game, Austin's first response was our terrible decision, and that's what I was thinking too. Um, the ball's rolling out of play, nothing, nothing happening, uh, and uh, Fuentes uh, jumps in front of the San Lorenzo player. To, to block the ball, but a little bit over exuberantly. Uh, and also his right arm is raised. Uh, he's had a few red cards, I think three red cards in the last six months for similar things, which doesn't really get a lot of sympathy from the junior fans. He's a good, good attacking fullback, but yeah, not, not good, not good. And either he's very, very unlucky or he's very, very stupid. Um, but uh, the game in itself, San Lorenzo, uh, one of the worst teams in this tournament, so a hugely disappointing result for Junior. Uh, they've got Almiron as the manager, so perhaps that kind of colours my opinion a little bit, uh, who was disappointing last year with Nacional. But this San Lorenzo side is limited. They brought in a lot of players from the Colombian League who didn't particularly perform last year, many of them working under Almiron, and they're still not quite settled. A very good win for the Argentines, but uh, the, the sending off was in 30 minutes, and... By the 75th minute, Junior still looked far more likely. San Lorenzo, obviously, with an extra man, more in possession. Victor Cantillo, very good again for Junior in midfield. He's a really good player. He was always a dictating the play and, and hitting some good shots as well from time. I think he's got the most completed passes in this tournament so far. Yeah, and it's 30-40% higher than the next guy. He's definitely the guy who makes everything happen for Junior. Definitely a player to watch. Very elegant, a little bit lanky, but kind of elegant with it it's, it's it's impressive but this game yeah junior 75 minutes had a clear chance on goal i sent out a tweet saying oh junior still look more likely this san lorenzo a lot of rubbish <laughs> and two minutes later roman martinez skips past his marker and and powers one into the top corner so after that san lorenzo had a couple more chances junior heads dropped after a really tough game with with a man down so it's definitely a missed opportunity for Junior. Obviously, the red card makes things difficult, but even with 10 men, they looked probably more likely to score despite not having as much possession as the Argentines. I still think Junior are the second-best team in their group, but there's no margin for error now. They've got to get some big results in the next couple of games. They've got quality. At times, they're a little bit overcomplicate things. They want to work the ball on the floor, which is nice, but they do need to be a bit more take their chances, force the, force the issues a little bit more at times, but we'll have to see. Tough, tough now for Junior, but they do have the quality. Do they have the spirit? Do they have the personality to get these results? That's what we're going to have to see. Okay, and I'll kind of just quickly ask you a question, actually. How is Mati Fernandez getting on there? Because, like, looking from afar, he hasn't had the best start to his junior career. Is it fair to say? Yeah, he did. He did step things up. Uh, the the first Libertadores game in the second half, he, he definitely improved. This game, he looked again more positive. Uh, he's definitely a, a useful player for Junior. Um, hasn't quite been a difference maker particularly, but he's definitely energetic. He definitely drives forward with the ball. The alternatives in that position, uh, for example, Hernandez, doesn't don't doesn't have the same drive and the same energy. 
Um, so, you know, I think he's uh, I think he's a useful player. I think there's potentially still more to come from him with Junior, but he seems to be finding his feet a little bit and, and knitting things together. And they've got again, they've got a lot of good ingredients. Luis Diaz again is is beautifully technical on the ball, very quick and and, and elegant. There's a lot of quality in this side, but uh, that doesn't count for much when you you can't make that pay and get the results. So, I think he's a useful addition to this junior team, and uh, and you can see the quality at times. Um, but he's still kind of finding his position and finding his place in the side. Okay, well, yeah, like I say, junior really struggling in this group, but just two games gone, and, and we've seen in previous years that sometimes teams that start the Libertadores really slowly end up coming good just at the right time, get get themselves through the group stage and then have a decent tournament. And I think there's a talent in this junior side to, to still do something in, in, in this group and in this competition, though, son. I definitely hope so. I mean, honestly, San Lorenzo aren't very good at all. Um, so, again, losing to San Lorenzo is poor. I think Junior should beat San Lorenzo in the return game in Colombia. And I think they'll fancy their chances against uh, Melgar twice. Palmeiras, I think, are at a different level in terms of their organisation, in terms of their tactical play and we can talk about them now <laughs> um but uh i think junior will fancy the chances in the next three games against san lorenzo and melgar um obviously palmeiras again three nil win big big result against the peruvians uh looking very comfortable palmeiras even when they don't play the best football or they don't play the most expressive attacking stuff they're always looking control and they always look like they're going to get a goal or two. What did you think of Palmeiras in this one? Well, the first thing I'd like to say, I think that <laughs> Palmeiras should have this result taken away from them for two reasons. First, the fact that they played in blue and white, oh. looking like Cruzeiro. That looked really, really wrong. And the second of all is that Filippo Melo was first allowed to score a goal and then... <laughs> The referee somehow didn't send him off for what was quite a disgraceful foul um, shortly afterwards. So, so yeah, um, beyond that, obviously, joking aside, this was a fairly comfortable uh, victory for, for Brazilians. They were actually my tip to, to win the tournament. So, yeah, I'm not, I'm not totally against seeing them win. Um, <laughs> But yeah, for me, they look like they mean serious business this year. Although they did have a very good group stage last year as well. But yeah, I, th- I think they could, look, looking at looking at how they've set up this year, they look uh, they look even more solid. I think, and uh, and perhaps they they might want to look at some alternative options to Filippo Melo in the in the upcoming games as well. Um, now that. They're looking a fairly sure bet to go through because although he got away with it this time, he still remains a bit of a liability to me. What do you think? Yeah, I think I think he he kind of is a is a good representation of of how that you know what what they want to do. I think he's a good leader in that regard. Uh, although flying into a knee high tackle from behind maybe isn't the quite the the composed controlling message that the the Palmeiras send for the other side he's also not that good in the ball to be honest but he's very tenacious and nobody likes playing against him um and I think that's true for Palmeiras as a as as an overall side I wouldn't I'd say they're the most organized team they've kept the core of what they had last year 
They look very comfortable with each other. They've got a good manager in Philippao. And we were and we were saying beforehand that they they're very dangerous on set pieces as well, aren't they? They just do all of the simple stuff really well. Um, throw in a bit of pace, you know, Miguel Borja, Davison. They've got players who can who can hurt the opposition as well. And you just they always have a plan and they execute the manager's instructions perfectly. So there's not many sides you could say that for in the Libertadores, but they're definitely one which combines quality, combines heart, combines hard work and combines a clear tactical plan. So, yeah, they're definitely the team to beat for me so far in this tournament. Okay, let's move on to talk about another Brazilian side, and that's Flamengo in Group D. They beat Liga de Quito 3-1. This was a game we were really looking forward to, having seen both the sides in the first week. But the Ecuadorians were a little bit disappointing on the road, and in the end, this was quite easy for Brazilians in front of a big crowd in the Maracanã in Rio. Looking at it, Simon, the Ecuadorians really struggled to get a foothold in this game, although they were handed a lifeline, weren't they, just before half-time, I think it was, when when, uh, when, they, when they got a penalty. Jefferson in Triago saw, saw his penalty saved by Diego Alves. But overall... Flamengo were were pretty dominant throughout this contest. Yeah, I mean, they've got a very, very good side. And and I think they will, at times, be frustrated by a tough, organised opposition. But for all the qualities and all of the things that we can admire about LDU, they're not really a tough, organised opposition. Good going forward, in theory, but they struggled. They they just had to to drop back and get goal side of, of what is a really impressive... Uh, good quality attacking uh, setup from Flamengo, uh, and they had Diaz Carrieta on the bench as well, which really shows how much you know the, how much quality they have in their side. Um, yeah, a good performance. Um, this Flamengo side is very good. Gabby 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 goal got on, got uh, got on the score sheet again. That's that's two and two for him in this competition. Absolutely. I mean, having a, a proper number nine goal scorer really is very very important. Uh, and they have that in Gabi Gol. Uh, you know, it's a good side. It's a, it's a side with a lot of money. Um, they're going to have tougher tests. LDU, again, I think are, are going to surprise some some sides. They, they look a good team, a good pacey technical side, but they didn't really have the tech, the, the organisation, the tactical discipline to, to kind of shut out what is a very, very star-studded Flamengo side and in the end uh, they converted their chances and, and looked quite comfortable in this this game and you must have been happy to see a Colombian on the score sheet in this one as well yeah absolutely I mean great to see uh, Fernando Oribe obviously chances are going to be limited with the the investment in this Flamengo side but he proved an, a, a useful addition and you know having a, a proper number nine to to back up Gabi goal is useful and Actually, the LDU striker as well, Christian Martinez Borja, who scored the penalty late on, is also Colombian from America de Cali. So nice to see Colombia represented. We don't have many teams, but uh, we do have important players across the competition, which is nice to see. So, yeah, good to see uh, Fernando Oribe still contributing to, to this Flamingo side. OK, uh, the other game in this group saw Benyurol bounce back from their defeat in Quito last week and they bounced back by comfortably beating Bolivian side 
San Jose 4-0. Like Quilsman, it looks like San Jose will be entirely dependent on their home form in this Libertadores with the help of Altitude, um, as this was another very one-sided game where possibly the, the home side could have even added more than four to their total, you know, given they were four up by the 46th minute, I think. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Peñarol were very impressive. We saw in the first first game that they'll try and get it wide and, and that will be their outlet. But uh, yeah, they definitely used that far more effectively in this tie. Uh, Lucas Viatri got two. His second goal, I'm a huge fan of. You, I, I was telling you how amazing I thought that goal was and you were, yeah, it's all right. But well, you, built he, it, you built it up so much that <laughs> in the end, it just, it just became a disappointment. <laughs> uh, I, mean, I was underwhelmed by it. I think. Right, let, let me try and sell it sure to you and meant it. again. I, I've, I've no, gone completely the other way now. <laughs> <laughs> so, oh yeah, Viatri scored a fluky. Uh, no, so okay, so running down the left, Viatri's running at pace, slows his run, sees the opportunity, receives it, stops it completely still, opens his body up as if he's going to pass it, and no look, curled, dinked, chipped floating top left-hand corner, no back lift, a wonderful finish, effortless, <laughs> nonchalant, left the goalkeeper standing still, amazing. Every, everyone listening, go and watch that goal and tell me if it's amazing or, or tell Adam if you agree that it was a it was a fluky mishit. <laughs> but uh, yeah, impressive from Brenuel. A completely different look to the side, more pace. Uh, we've seen completely two different sides of Brenuel. I thought they were very, very flat and disappointing in the first game. But they were really very impressive in the in the way they took their chances in this game, and as you say, it could have been six or seven, but uh, a very very important lift for the Uruguayans who take a lot of confidence on this and, and look forward to the next one. Indeed, and next up for Peñarol is a trip to Flamengo, so that will be a tough task for them, and certainly given their away record that we mentioned last week. And San Jose welcome Liga de Quito in, in where they possibly won't have the kind of altitude advantage they enjoy over some of the sides from the southern cone, of course, because certainly Liga de Quito will, will be used to altitude. So that game will certainly be interesting to see. Moving on to Group E, where Uruguayan side Nacional managed a 1-0 win against Atletico Mineiro. For the second week running, this was a 1-0 win for the Uruguayans via a Bagasio goal. Um, not a huge amount in this one, as the scoreline reflects. Uh, Juan uh, Cáceres created some good moments for the Brazilians, a little Ecuadorian playmaker but he couldn't quite craft out a, a, a clear-cut opportunity. Luan possibly had their best chance, and which was an acrobatic effort in the first half. And veteran Ricardo Oliveira had a, had a fairly decent chance to equalise towards the end as well. Um, but yeah, like I say, it was on the 70-minute mark that Bagasio rose highest in the box to head home from excellent Matias Vinia cross to give the Uruguayans all three points. And this was a really well 
ground out win and it leaves them in a very strong place in the group to qualify after after just two games. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, really impressive from Nacional. Uh, Minero, we saw the good and the bad of Minero in, in qualifying at times. Very, very impressive. At times, not so much. Again, they looked a little bit flat, but but Nacional again impressed me. Lots and lots of service into the box, um, organised, good a good win for the Uruguayans, and it puts Minero adrift at the bottom with Cerro Porteño also picking up a, a win to get six points. It, it it kind of leaves them adrift. Cerro Porteño, two one win against Zamora, a good win for the Paraguayans, two uh, 0 up. Uh, Nelson Valdez, really, really impressive couple of goals in this game. Uh, the first one was a run down the right, crossed in, and it was a flick through the legs at the near post uh, into the into the goal. Yeah, and the second one was a, a little bit less deft, but a lot more powerful and explosive. Uh, Nelson Valdez again with a wonderful volley from outside the box just after half time, and really put the Venezuelans up against it. They they did get one back, a really nice goal again, played out wide crossed in and nicely finished on the volley. Uh, a good performance from Cerro Porteño, a side that I thought might be underdogs in this tournament to do something. And so far, so good. Two wins, 2-1 uh, against the Venezuelan side at home, but it was comfortable for most of the game. Uh, Samora hit them once off on the counter, but for a lot of the game, Cerro looked very comfortable and, and they're in a dominant position. Uh, can you see past... Set up with anyone national in this group? Can Minero pull things back, Adam? What do you think? I'd, I'd be surprised at this point. I think, I think in this part as well, you know, we did see a couple of groups start like this last year, and then sort of by the end, they did, they did manage to to save them. So I think, I think it was Atletico Tucumán who might have started with two defeats last last in last year's competition and ended up going through to the last sixteen. So all hopes not lost for them, but yeah. I, don't give them too much hope from from performances I've seen there in the qualifying stages and um, and in this group stage. To me, they don't look quite good enough. Let's move on to talk about Group A. Um, River Plate nil, Palestino nil was a game played behind closed doors kind of suspected that Palestino might get a point simply because this game was played behind closed doors so you did have that kind of strange atmosphere that you get and kind of it always feels like the home team struggle to motivate themselves a little bit in these circumstances you know it kind of has a feel of a bit of a training session to it um, we were chatting to Tom Nash of this par- parish earlier in the week, weren't we, Simon? About this game, he's our River Plate expert, and and he was and he was praising Palestino's performance in this match, where they showed great determination and, and grit in 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 defence to to grind out a point. But it was a point well earned, and not just purely based on defensive football. They carried a threat themselves. Luis Jimenez, a player I've praised a lot in this tournament so far, he he again had another decent game. Um, Guillermo Soto 
returned to right back. Um, he was missing in that 1-0 loss to International, and he's probably been Palestino's most consistent performer in this tournament, and, um, and he looked like he had another decent game as well. But I think looking, because this game was played at the same time as uh, Cotolica Rosario Central, I, I, I kind of had to... Watch it back on kind of fast forward, um, and uh, I, I think my highlight was when Jimenez almost scored uh, a goal Olimpico, uh, goal straight from the corner uh, in the second half, and and that could have given Palestina all three points in this one. Yeah, you know, looking at all the ingredients, uh, the organisation and the discipline, professional performances we've seen from Palestina in this tournament to to get into the qualifying stage and get through and and make it to the group and, and what we've seen so far combined with the empty stadium combined with a with a plate that that tried to play and try to move the ball I, I could definitely I could definitely see the potential for an upset in this one and you know it could have been even more as you say but uh, Palestino continue to impress they're not the most blessed team in terms of quality but they definitely make the most of what they've got and what they've got is is fairly significant you know good some good quality players Jimenez as you mentioned uh, it's, it's a decent side and uh, they, they've definitely played to their strengths and, and they've got a really good point away from to our, in Argentina fortunate to be playing with uh, behind closed doors but not losing that one really opens the group up and keeps them in contention. Indeed. Um, and Gonzalez in goal, um, a word for him, he made a mistake for international winner against Palestino last week. I criticised him then for his goalkeeping, but this was a superb display from him. In this one, he, he earned the Man of the Match award and earned his side a point as well. So great to see him bounce back that way yeah this is a very hard working Palestino side and like you say they can also play a bit as well so that's always a very decent mix at any level of the game um, in the other game in this group International managed to they, or they swatted aside uh, Peruvian side Alianza Lima early on to with two goals, I think you said in the first 15 minutes, no, Simon, both long-range efforts? Yeah, two two really nice finishes on the edge of the box. Well, one one was helped with the deflection, but the first one was, was smooth and clean right into the bottom corner. Uh, Nicolas Lopez, uh, very, very couple of really good uh, finishes. Really great atmosphere, packed, packed stadium. Uh, really, really great game to watch in that regard. But uh, it did kind of feel that International took their foot off the pedal a little bit. Uh, Alianza are fairly decent, but you know, losing two long-range goals early on definitely took the air out of them. It felt as though International could have really put on a show in front of that packed crowd. Um, didn't necessarily do that, but uh, a really good a good win for them. Uh, fairly comfortable. I don't think Lima were prepared to fight back and get two goals in this game. And uh, once those two had flown in, the wind was out of their sails. But uh, impressive 2-0 win, comfortable for, for the Brazilians and top of the group, they're looking quite good for, for Internacional. Yeah, I wasn't overly impressed with them when I saw them in Santiago last week, but they were fairly solid defensively and that's two clean sheets now for them in this group and and that's like you say, set them up well. Two two games in, top of the group, six points. They they can't they couldn't have asked for a better start. 
Yeah, and with River Plate uh, drawing their first two, that is four four points clear, even from second place. It does give them quite a comfortable uh, comfortable lead, uh, which I you know I can't exp- I can't see them dropping. I don't think they're the most complete side. I think they're a little bit limited in attack, but six points in six games with everyone else drawing around you. Uh, You've, you know, you've got to really back them to get out of this group at least. Yeah, from from the Palestino perspective, just looking at their fixtures, they host Alianza Lima at the start of April um, in in the next round of fixtures, and and if they win that, and River Plate perhaps lose away to Internacional, suddenly you know this group is 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 looking quite decent for Palestino as well. But yeah, there's a lot of speculation there, and and. Uh, and certainly it'd be two tough games for Palestina and Internacional, but that's uh, one scenario I'm dreaming of at the moment. Let's, uh, let's move on to Group B. One game got called off. Um, we'll speak a little bit about that in a minute, but the game that didn't get called off, Emelec, Neil, Hurricane, Neil, that didn't have <laughs> too much more drama than the game that actually got called off. So, Simon, this game, you know, it was spoiled a little bit by the weather. You know, it, was, it absolutely was hammering it down and it, and it didn't make for particularly great football. It was played... Well, for me, it was a it was an eleven o'clock kickoff that I had to watch on a stop start stream on Facebook Live, and I think I nodded off a couple of times during it. But but from what I do remember, Hurricane um, ended up actually looking the side more likely to to snatch victory in 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 this one. Um, yeah, no, I think so. I think they responded better to the conditions with with the the weather and. Uh, they kind of battled a little bit better than Emelec in this in this game to kind of get a bit of control, but it was very much a couple of passes and then lost possession. They they had a few chances here and there, but it was a you know one of those games where you know, we have so many games to follow, and this one was was not really grabbing much attention. There wasn't anything else on to watch, but uh, yeah, not not a not a great one to to rewatch. Not the best game. Huracan slightly on top. It looked well, fairly they, decent. Hurricane, looking at just looking back at the stats from this game, actually, they had twice as many shots as as Emelec, despite having less possession and and and, uh, and less pass accuracy as well. But for me, from from what I remember of the game, <laughs> Hurricane were just a lot more effective with the ball, and 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 they were the only mm-hmm. side really creating. Chant the chances to to win it. Yeah, I'm, I mean, I'm disappointed with this this MLX side because they've got some interesting players. You know, there's, there's a lot of good attacking, pacey wide men as we as we like from the Ecuadorian sides, and and they do have some interesting players. Angulo, Cabezas, Cortes, Arce. It's a side full of, in theory, full of pace and quality. I think I backed them as an outsider for this competition and none of that on show so far. Um, I do think contrib- uh, conditions contributed to that. I think they they liked to, to move the ball at pace and that was perhaps a little bit tricky, but they didn't really know they were trying to do much of that at all. So they somehow found themselves banging contention. Obviously, Crucero Lada haven't played their game, so 
that does that does have an impact. But MLX left time to find some form, but we're gonna have to see a lot more from them in this competition because I I do think they're quite good at least on paper, but it's not really clicking so far. Yeah, we've definitely seen quite a few of these players play pretty well in the Libertadores in in past years. So I can see why that you possibly saw them as a dark horse, but things don't seem to be clicking yet for them. Um, on, on, on the Huracan side of things, uh, Lucas Barrios was, was playing up front for them again. And I, I think we mentioned this last week, but and it was the same for Colo Colo last year. He just nearly does everything. Nearly scores, <laughs> nearly makes the right pass, nearly gets on to, to the, right, the right ball. But uh, yeah, it, I think over the years, he's just lost that maybe yard, half a yard of pace, and and he was an excellent striker, certainly at South American level, sort of 10 years ago, and he, and he even did well for, for Dortmund in the Bundesliga, but yeah, I think I think that loss of sort of a half a yard, yard of pace has, has really caught up with him as the years have gone on. Yeah, absolutely, and I, I did quite like the contribution of Roa, the Colombian as well, the number 10, the playmaker, I thought he was quite good as well. But yeah, you know, as a as a quick, powerful striker like Barrios, losing a bit of pace, maybe sometimes they haven't developed other areas of their game so much, and, and yeah, it, it can it can have a big impact on on their contribution. But you know, he's gonna he's gonna surprise us at some point in this tournament, I'm sure, and, and bring back the years and, and show what he can do at least in one game, I think. Maybe, maybe. Well, the other game, as as we mentioned, the other game in this group unfortunately got postponed. Um, it was uh, actually the second week running. Lara being involved in a in a postponement of the match, and in obviously in the first week, the game was eventually played twenty four hours later after they had uh, floodlight failure issues on the on the Thursday night. Um, they came back the next day and played out a fairly dull nil nil draw with with Emelec. Um, this week they were due to play Cruzeiro in Belo Horizonte in, in Brazil um, but unfortunately the plane they booked didn't have permission to to, to fly um, to the Brazilian city so in the end they had to they had to cancel this match Cruzeiro agreed and um, luckily for them and uh, and and Lara thanked them for their cooperation and, and this game is going to be rescheduled to be played, I think next is it next week. Yeah, this game will be played on the twenty seventh of March now. So gives Laris a bit more time to get themselves sorted. Um, until this year, we haven't really seen the crisis uh, and 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 the issues in Venezuela affect Venezuelan football, have we, Simon? But certainly at the start of this Libertadores, we've already seen. A couple of incidents, and um, I'm getting slightly worried it may mar their participation in comparable competitions throughout the rest of the year as well. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, the the Association of Venezuelan Players wrote a letter to the league, and they've requested that the league be suspended um, until the the issues preventing games, including power cuts in the country, are, are resolved, and they can continue to to play the games in a safe. Uh, situation so there's there's definitely issues it's going to be very difficult for the Venezuelan side not having week-to-week competitive domestic football and also these power cuts are going to be an issue the games are played in the evening in the Libertadores so 
there may have to be some uh, some some understanding from the from the organisers from the opposition sides. Perhaps we'll see more games played earlier in the day to to prevent that as a as a potential problem. But it definitely complicates the participation on top of obviously a situation in the country which is very difficult. Um, shortages and you know difficult issues you know, don't have to go into everything but uh, it's a definitely a difficult situation in the country and finally after to years of suspecting it it may have an impact it really is now starting to to damage the football as well and make things difficult for the sides and their participation in these competitions they've been surprisingly competitive given everything that's going on and, and obviously we saw Zamora put on a decent performance this week as well um, but uh, yeah, this is definitely going to make things even more difficult. Having no domestic league football, at least for the time being, this weekend's games were were suspended, and um, we still have to wait and see how things uh, are resolved um, in the short term. But uh, yeah, it's a difficult situation, and and I imagine that they're going to have to really put in a lot of work to even fulfil these fixtures in the Libertadores. But we'll have to see what happens. Indeed, indeed. Well, that wraps us up for this edition of the South American Football Show. We'll be back possibly next week. If not, then we'll be back certainly to round up week three of the Copa Libertadores. Before then, Simon, can you just give people your your Twitter handle? I'm sure most people follow you by now, but any new listeners to, to the show might be interested to know where they can find you and if you've got anything else to plug. Yeah, Twitter at Simon Edwards SAF. Anything Colombia related, Colombian national teams out. New Colombian kit, which is dividing some opinions. Um, you can get my thoughts on that over there as well. Uh, so yeah, just Twitter. Any any questions, and and you can tell me how much you love that Peñarol goal and how much Adam doesn't doesn't appreciate good football. How he's a philistine. Uh, Adam, where's what's your Twitter for people to tell you how wonderful that goal is? Um, they can tell me at Adam Browden eighty four. Follow me there for kind of the latest on Chilean football. Yeah, with the international week coming up, it's uh, it's going to be interesting to analyse where all 10 South American nations are. What, with just three months to go now to the Copa America in, in Brazil. So, yeah, it's, it's going to be an, an interesting week to, to have a look at the international game. Like I say, that rounds us up for this week. So it's all just left to say. Huge thanks to Simon for joining me. No thanks to anybody else who couldn't <laughs> join us, like Austin and Tom. But no, joking aside, um, a huge thanks to, to our listeners as well, and it's goodbye. Goodbye.